0: WGN Radio, Wintrust Business Lunch. Jared Dillian, welcome back to WGN Radio. How are you? Uh, Good. It's great to be back. Thank you. You are the best-selling finance expert and the author of a new book now, No Worries, How to Live a Stress-Free Financial Life. What's the overview of this? Well, the overview is really that there are two
1: chief activators of financial stress. One of them is debt. And the other one is risk. And if you can minimize your debt and minimize your risk, you will lead a stress-free financial life. There is kind of a common misconception that not having enough money is a source of financial stress, but that's actually not true. Um, There's people living paycheck to paycheck who don't have any debt and don't have any risk, and all their needs are met, their basic needs are met, and they're perfectly happy. And then you have the richest man in the world, Elon Musk, who... (laughs) Uh, took out a loan to buy Twitter and pledged his Tesla stock as collateral, which went down 75%, and he almost went bankrupt. So the richest man in the world has financial stress. So it's not really a function of how much money you
0: have. It's a function of how you structure your life. And you make it sound like the object of the game, and I suppose this is true, is not to have a lot of money. It's to be happy. To that to... is the goal that is the goal, but you know, but isn't that interesting? I think because even as you started, you said there's two things for that trigger stress, one is debt, one is risk. And I thought, no, it's money. You got to have enough money If you have enough money, then you don't have those problems. But maybe we need to rethink out of the gate how we even calculate our our happiness relative to our wealth,
1: yeah. I mean, this book is really about being financially happy, and You know, when I started doing research for this book about five or six years ago, I would go into Barnes and Noble and I would look at the personal finance shelf and, you know, there's sort of a lot of schlocky titles like seven easy ways to become a millionaire and 12 easy ways for financial success. And there's no rules in my book. You won't find a list of 10 things that you must do to be financially happy. There's a set of principles. It's really about principles and heuristics that are very easy for people to follow. so Give me some of those. Well, it's really about three big things. If you can get three big things right, you won't have to worry about little things. And the big things are the house, the car, and the student loans. And the vast majority of personal finance books focus on tiny little things. Making your coffee at home instead of buying Starbucks. Turning out the lights, turning down the thermostat, these little things that save a couple dollars here and there. But if you do the math, those little things don't really add up into big things. It's the big things that count. If you get a slightly smaller house, maybe 500 square feet smaller, you will save over $100,000 in interest over the life of the loan, which is like three lifetimes of coffee. And a lot of people can't
0: do that math. I guess there's some similar revelation relative to my car loan or my student loan, um, but I can't really buy a smaller student loan. I'm on the hook for that. What advice do you have for people who've got tens of thousands of dollars of student debt? Well, it, you know, the the goal is to
1: read this book when you're in your 20s uh, before you make some of those errors. But assuming you're older and you have made some of those errors— And let's say you have uh, an enormous amount of student loan debt. Let's say it's six figures, $100,000. What do you do? Well, there's not really a whole lot you can do on the expense side. And that's really the first approach that people take. They try to cut expenses to the bone. And there's really just a limited amount of impact you can have doing that. If you have a crippling or crushing amount of student loan debt, you can't discharge it in bankruptcy. The only solution is to increase the revenue side and actually make more money. So that might mean changing careers, doing something completely different, getting a second job, working longer hours, getting a raise,
0: things like that to earn more money or even starting a business. So you said debt and risk though, and I suppose we could make decisions to sort of manage the debt going in, like borrow less money, get a smaller house. What are you talking about when you talk about risk?
1: What I'm talking about with risk is financial market risk. So we all save for our retirements and we have 401ks and IRAs and stuff like that. And the conventional wisdom around investing is we should invest in index funds. We should be in the S&P 500 and ride out the volatility, the ups and downs, and you'll have a bunch of money at the end of retirement. But when you invest in an index, you get the returns of the index, which are very good, but you also get the volatility of the index. And, you know, the S&P 500 can move around 15 to 20% a year. And over the course of a 40-year investing career, you're going to experience big bear markets, which are going to cause you a lot of stress. So, I don't think we have time, but I do go into detail in the book about how to construct a portfolio
0: that gives you a little less in the way of returns, but cuts your risk in half. Cuts your risk in half, even though you might have to compromise a little on the return side. So what I, may, I don't want to cut my return in half. I'm not going to have to do that, am I?
1: No, absolutely not. Uh, there is a portfolio in the book that I present, and I call it the Awesome Portfolio. And the awesome portfolio is equal parts, stocks, bonds, cash, gold, and real estate. Hmm. And this portfolio since 1971 has returned 8.1% a year with half the volatility of an 80-20 portfolio. And the worst year it has ever had is down 12%. The worst year that the S&P
0: 500 has had in that time period is down about 38%. You're listening to the Win Trust Business Lunch, and we're talking to Jared Dillian. He's an author, a financial expert. You've heard him on the Win Trust Business Lunch before. He took a little time off to write No Worries, How to Live a Stress-Free Financial Life. And out of the gate, he said the way to live a stress-free financial life is not to get a million dollars or $10 million. It's not necessarily about the pile, but it's about the debt and about the risk that you're willing to take. Um, The object of the game is to be self-sustaining and to be happy. And sometimes the biggest pile doesn't make you the happiest person. Right, Jared? Fair summary so far? Yeah, we're doing good so far. That's about right. Why did you take time to write about what one of your days was like in New York? Um, You know, it's funny. I mean, you mentioned that before the break, and I actually don't remember this piece. Um, so, uh, can I share it with you? Sure. <laughs> so it described what you did one day where you had to, I think, go to New York and maybe record a podcast. It's not the little things. It's the big things. You said there was an interview With Susie Orman recently in the style section of the Wall Street Journal, it was not a substantive interview regarding her philosophy about personal finance, but it was revealing. And I thought this was you, because this is kind of some of the things that you talk about. Um, Hold on, I'm scrolling down to one of the points where you talked about where you stayed, what you ate, you took an intern out. Was that you or was that Susie I'm talking about? No, I, I think that's me, but I remember the piece. Um,
1: Susie Orman was talking about uh, her likes and dislikes. She said that she doesn't like going out to eat but she think, because she thinks it's a waste of money, but she loves private air travel. And that's kind of the opposite of what I talk about in the book, because they say you should focus on the big things, And not the little things i mean if you spend a hundred bucks on dinner you know as long as you don't do that every day like that's perfectly acceptable but spending twenty five thousand to charter a jet is definitely a big thing (laughs) you know i don't i I don't spend um on any given day i don't spend a lot of money i get a coffee from dunkin donuts in the morning i go out to lunch i might get gas i might go out to dinner um you know i there was a period of time where i was spending a lot of money on clothes uh, I wear a lot of John Barbados, and I was ordering a couple thousand worth of clothes a month, uh, but I've stopped doing that. Um, you know, I really don't have expensive habits. The one exception being if I go on vacation, I'm a little picky about hotels. I don't like staying in cheap hotels as I get older.
0: You a little while ago said you're not going to have a stress-free financial life if the your idea of reducing debt is not going to Starbucks.
1: No, and the, the thing about that is that people, they can give up large luxuries. So you can get a smaller house, you can get a cheaper car, and you're not sitting in a house thinking, this house is terrible, I hate this house, or this car is terrible, I wish I had a better car. You generally don't think those things, but you can't give up small luxuries. Asking somebody to give up coffee in the morning, they cannot sustain that over a 40-year lifetime. They cannot sustain that they cannot sustain not going out to lunch small luxuries
0: are more important to people than large luxuries you wrote i'm in new york for the launch of no worries let's talk about all the personal financial decisions i made to get here i booked coach tickets on the flight i was hoping to get upgraded to first class i just missed it i have only paid for first class tickets twice in my life i took a cab from the airport You can take the bus and the subway for $5, but it's 19 degrees out, and it takes three times as long. My time is worth $50. I'm staying at the Residence Inn at 55th and Broadway, $230 a night. Nice hotel room with a kitchenette. It's a bit small, but I don't need to spend $800 on a hotel room for a few more square feet. I took my old intern out to dinner at Angelo's Pizza and got family-size order of baked ziti. (laughs) Took leftovers back to the room and tipped the waitress so much, she asked if I meant to tip her that much. Going to Hoboken today to record a podcast. I will take an Uber. I could use the PATH train, but again, it's 19 degrees outside. I can spend $50 to not be miserable. What's the point of all of this? Again, it gets it, it all gets back to the it's it's about the big things and the
1: little things. See the things that I saved money on, which were the coach tickets and the hotel were the big things. The things that I spent money on, transportation, Uber rides, meals, yeah. those are the little things, you know? So I you know, I it, it, this book is is not just a bunch of like nonsense that I came up with. Like I live my life like this. You know, I
0: save money on the big things and I spend money on the little things and the math works out. Can you talk just a little bit about income, though? I mean, that is something you and I haven't discussed much yet, but just give me a few pointers about that, because more income is better than less income. What do you say or advise people about on all of that? Well, actually, uh, the first couple chapters of the book, or the first chapter in particular, is all
1: about that. And one of the things I talk about, it's a very optimistic message. It's a very optimistic message. And I tell people that how much money we have is a choice, right? We all get to choose how much money we have. I chose how much money I have. If you if you want to make more money, that option is always available to you. A, a people, you know, they're in their jobs and they do this thing and they get paid 60, 80, $100,000 a year and they think they make what they make, and there's really no upside beyond that. But there's a whole bunch of things you can do to make money. You can get a raise, you can change careers, you can go back to school, you can start a business, you can do passive income, you can do rental properties. There's all kinds of things you can do to increase your income. And there's a chapter in there called The Revenue Side, where I talk about how it's better to increase your revenue than cut your expenses.
0: I just wanted to mention this. In Chicago, U.S. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen uh, spoke today. Um, Axios said, call her the Taylor Swift of number crunchers. State Treasurer Michael uh, Freyrich, State Comptroller Susanna Mendoza Federal Reserve Bank Chair of the Chicago, of Chicago, Austin Goolsbee, were on hand. Yellen did not disappoint. She said inflation is falling. The economy is booming. She credited the wins to President Biden's strategy to help the middle class. She said the message is... The story of the middle class is not separate from the state of the economy. It's at the heart of it. By middle class, I don't mean a narrow or fixed group. I mean workers across industries and occupations, from firefighters to nurses to factory workers. Um, obviously, there's a political message there. But can you just give me your thoughts about the overall state of the economy right now?
1: Well, it sure seems pretty good. I mean, I can tell you that inflation is falling and continue to fall um you know, I think the most recent CPI reading was about 3.0%. But if you look at private real-time measures like true inflation, it's actually below 2%. So inflation has fallen a lot. Um, people believe that the economy is bad because food prices went up a lot, and they have not come down. So the average person goes to the grocery store, and it costs $300, and they think, gee whiz, you know, three or four years ago, it used to cost $200. So the economy is terrible and people are pessimistic. But things are actually pretty good. You know, the labor market is strong. We still have unemployment well below 4%. Uh, The stock market is on the all-time highs. Like, it's really all a matter of perception.
0: Jared Dillian's book is called No Worries, and it's about a stress-free financial life. It's nice to talk to you today, Jared. Congratulations on the book. Don, you're a pro. Thanks for having me on. You can find out more at buynoworries.com. B-U-I. Buynoworries.com. Joe Bracato, and his latest book is "Hit It Off." This is a guy who is an attorney, who is a business developer, and as um, as an author as well. In fact, you wrote, Joe. Welcome to the show. First of all, you also you, did, didn't you author "Never Eat Alone."
2: I wish I authored Never Eat Alone. My dear friend Keith Ferrazzi authored that, Uh, and Keith was very kind to write a a, a great testimonial uh, for my book, Hit It Off, which appears on the cover, so I'm very pleased with that.
0: I've got your book here. I've been reading through it and actually sharing some excerpts from it from our listeners the last week or so. Um, I spent some time on rule number two, but before we even get to that, just tell us what this is. What is the point of Hit It Off?
2: Absolutely. First of all, John, thank you so much for having me. Um, I wanted to write this book because we tend to make snap judgments about people in the first two seconds we meet them. And relationships have one purpose, and that's to achieve some sort of a goal, whether it's in a business context or a personal context. So I wanted to write a book that really kind of marries uh, a lot of scientific research to some intuitive, common sense things that really help us hit it off with people from the moment we meet them. And then developing that into a long-term emotional connection. And what that really does is it helps us maximize the likelihood of achieving all of our goals for that relationship.
0: Yeah. It's funny because this is a book that could be a business book or it could be just a guide to having a happier life. It's, It's both, isn't it, Joe?
2: It really is, and that's why the subtitle does reference, you know, life or business. Um, And quite interestingly, uh, when I did the research, uh, psychological, sociological, and business studies and other expert commentary around these intuitive, common-sense things that we oftentimes take for granted, it really transcends, the science transcends the type of relationship that we're talking about, whether it's in a business context or a a friendship, uh, a romantic relationship, a buddy relationship, whatever the case might be. And that's really where a lot of the efficacy comes from, really understanding what the science is all about.
0: Did you prioritize these? So, yeah, the subtitle is 21 Rules for Mastering the Art and Science of Relationships in Life and Business. Is rule number one more important than rule number 21? Well, quite interestingly,
2: um, I wanted rule number one, which is really all around um, using uh, a fresh approach to eye contact to convey emotion. Because when you meet someone, uh, typically the first thing you do is you look into their eyes. And so it's really important to understand that when we do that, when we are looking at someone, the science really does show us that we're conveying emotion if we're happy to see somebody, if we're upset. Um, so if we're really raising to a level of consciousness this mindfulness around the interpersonal dynamic, including eye contact, that really gives us the best chance of hitting it off with someone.
0: I uh, am terrible at eye contact. Uh, I'm sometimes reminded by people close to me that I need to work on that more. My excuse has been that I talk into a microphone for a living. I sell them in my professional life. I've had to look at the people I'm talking to, but um, right. I have a wife and kids you know. and every now and then they'll go, Hey dad, we're over here. And I go, Oh yeah, I'm sorry. I've got to work on that. Um, but, that. but, for, but for all of us, it, it, it's, it's so obvious, but also so important, isn't it? You need to look into the eyes of, look at the face of the person you're talking to. And you also say, smile. Um, just talk about those two things a little more.
2: Well, there's a lot of research around the positivity that we convey uh, with a simple smile. And, you know, whether it's eye contact or, or smile or there's another uh, rule about uh, active listening, these are things that seem somewhat common sense. And the problem is, um, you know, instinctively, we all know this stuff. Instinctively, we all know that relationships are important. But the problem is our approach to this is often very passive. It's something that we do subconsciously and we tend to overlook that uh, it really requires, this relationship development concept really requires uh, an investment of time and, and attention by us. And so I'm trying to wrap like mindfulness and critical thinking around the interpersonal dynamic so we have the science to really give us confidence and the efficacy of these things and really go out and practice it. And at the end of the book, there are a number of exercises that people and readers can really use to dig in and really start practicing the stuff from day one.
0: One of those exercises is, in fact, about active listening. What's active listening?
2: Well, active listening is not just hearing words come out of someone's mouth and into your ears. Um, It really requires a level of mindfulness around what is being said. And a lot of times when we're listening to people, we're trying to plan what we're going to say next. Um, Maybe we're disagreeing with them in our minds. We're not really listening. And the idea is to really understand the intent behind the words, and it's easier said than done. But what we try to do is really understand the intent, internalize it, and again, use critical thinking. You know, the first step in critical thinking is effective communication. And when we're really listening to someone, what we're doing is we're really giving them unconditional acceptance And really kind of this unbiased uh, perception of what they're saying. And that goes, according to the science, a long way, frankly, an exponential way to increase the enhancement of that relationship and the quality of what you're building with that other person. So truly, truly listen to someone and be acutely aware of the intent or try to understand the intent. Ask questions if you don't truly understand it or if you want to just clarify something, be very proactive in making sure you understand what's being said.
0: This book about building relationships is by our guest Joe Bracato. It's called Hit It Off. Some of the things are relatively obvious, like look the person in the eye, shake their hand, smile, listen to what they're saying, compliment them. I think those are all just good ways to live life, but those things, Things do seem to come easier for some people. I think all of us know somebody for whom that isn't easy, or some of those things aren't easy for any of us. Do you acknowledge that, that for some people these traits come naturally, and for others it's a heavy lift? Well, a lot of them
2: Don't come naturally for me. Um, And so I I really do believe that anyone can master these things. And you're absolutely right. And that's why I said earlier that a lot of this is common sense. But it's kind of like when I first read philosophy in college and I would read something and I would say, oh, my God, I know that already. (laughs) <laughs> um, but really, I didn't. Why didn't I really know it? Because it wasn't at my consciousness. It wasn't at the top of my mind. I wasn't able to really use this effectively, this idea or concept effectively, to really go about and create meaning in my life or to help other people to provide value or to achieve a goal. And that's the whole point of me bringing in science and really succinctly summarizing this for readers so they understand how important this stuff is. And there's a lot of tips in the book there are, there are stories, you know, train wreck stories, when things are not applied, these rules are not applied properly, and there's some really inspirational things and some takeaways. So really, it's a contextual way to help us change the way we think about relationships, change the way we think about this interpersonal dynamic to make it much more efficient, and like I said earlier, maximize the likelihood of achieving whatever our goal is for that relationship.
0: But this book isn't... Um... Numbers. It's not nuts and bolts business strategies. It's human being strategies. How does all this translate then? So, okay, I'm a better, more empathetic uh, communicator and I I throw off good vibes and I get good vibes in return. I do a lot of the things that you're talking about. How does that translate to uh, we make the sale? Yeah.
2: Well, I do a lot of business development, I'm an attorney. Uh, as you mentioned, and I've been practicing law now for 31 years. Uh, I'm a partner with Gazdecki Del Judis Americus, and Bracado right here in Chicago. We have a national practice, and I have clients. We have clients all over the world, um, and so I personally do a lot of business development, and I'm in front of people all the time, and I've met people from all different cultures all over the globe, and I have noticed traits, and when I'm out developing business, You know, the whole idea, obviously, is to get trust so people really do believe that you're going to deliver for them. It's very, very important. I'm in a very competitive field, like a lot of other service providers, so it's really important to be as efficient as you can to really convey that you have the substantive ability to do the work, but also that people can trust you, that you can actually deliver. And using these rules, I gathered over many many years of practicing this stuff hitting uh, brick walls and you know all the challenges and all the failures frankly that i have encountered i wanted to make it easier for business people whether you're raising money for a a new business or you're in a partnership you're trying to resolve a problem Um, if you're trying to get new clients or customers and you're trying to retain those clients and customers all about the relationship you have with these individuals. And that's why the book is very important for business people.
0: we are talking to Joe Precado, and his book is hit it off. Let's get you a business news update with Steve Grzanich. Start your timer. It's time for the Wind Trust Business Minute, sharing Chicago's business news of the day.
1: The new McDonald's spin off Cosmics saw more than double the number of visits seen at a typical McDonald's. That's according to data compiled by Placer, which measures foot traffic at retail locations. The data was reported by Cranes. Cosmics opened in Bolingbroke back on December 7th. McDonald's says it has plans to open at least 10 more Cosmics by the end of this year. The spin-off's menu focuses mostly on beverages, but also includes breakfast and snack food options. Rush University has named Dr. Robert S.D. Higgins as president and chief academic officer. He'll also serve as chief academic officer and senior vice president at Rush University System for Health. Higgins comes to Chicago from Boston, where he served as president of Boston's Brigham and Women's Hospital, the second largest
0: hospital in Massachusetts. I'm Steve Grzanich, and that's your Wintrust Business Minute. Time for the business of food,
3: and Steve Alexander. Okay, thank you. Hit it. If you already know the name of the song, you're probably old enough to remember when it was a big hit on rock radio in the 60s. I'll tell you what that has to do with the business of food and say congratulations to this guy. Thank you. After I thank the Chevy Silverado and ChevyDriveChicago.com. There's never been a better time to put a Silverado in your toolbox.
0: Gold finger.
3: Tom Beckman is on the line.
0: He's
4: the man.
3: (laughs) Yes, he is. What do you do for a living, Tom? I am co-owner and head brewer of Goldfinger Brewing Company. Ah, there's the connection to the song. But the story gets even better for Beckman and the craft brewery that he opened in Downers Grove in 2020.
4: My ancestors, whose last name was Goldfinger... Were brewers and brewing equipment manufacturers in Poland and Czechia in the nineteenth century.
3: Oh, so I guess you could say
4: brewing is actually in our blood.
3: So Tom went to a beer college of sorts,
4: the World Brewing Academy, which is a joint program between. Siebel Institute in Chicago and Doman's Academy in Munich, Germany.
3: I finished the course in Munich. Then it was back to Chicago and eventually he, his wife Allison, and his siblings opened their own place, which has won national honors.
4: Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine does an annual best in beer issue. We were second favorite lager brewer and number eight in the top list of favorite small brewer.
3: And that's of more than 9,000 nationwide. Yeah. I suppose business picked up after that.
4: We definitely saw a newfound interest in our tap room, so we got pretty busy and then um we've definitely increased our social media followers
3: on ig that's goldfinger beer and tom i've got an idea for you sure every time the door opens and somebody walks in this plays over the speakers
4: <laughs> we actually had a customer suggest that that should be our last call song every night <laughs>
3: Tom Beckman of Goldfinger Brewing Company in Downers Grove. On the food calendar, it's National Green Juice Day and National Peanut Brittle Day. I'm Steve Alexander, and that's the business of food on 720 WGN. This book
0: is um, a business book. I've enjoyed reading it, though, Joe, because I don't read business books, but I... Uh, thought it was very easy to read, and it's, as the title says, 21 Rules for Mastering the Art and Science of Relationships in Life and Business. And I thought rule number two was pretty interesting. Rule number one is take a fresh look at eye contact to convey emotion. Hello. And then rule number two, prepare to achieve goals efficiently in reverse. You said research shows the best way to plan and set goals is to do so in reverse. It sounds counterintuitive, but makes sense. Researchers at the Korea Business School and the University of Iowa found people are more likely to achieve their goals when they engage in something called future retrospection. Imagine ourselves as we've already accomplished the goal and then plan backwards, thinking about all the steps we had to take to get to that goal. The researchers found that this increases our productivity, motivation, confidence, and reduces stress. When we plan forward, there seems to be endless pathways to the particular goal that can end up confusing us. But if you think about it in reverse, (laughs) Joe, if you think about, okay, I achieved the goal. What would have happened before that? Maybe that's an easier way to imagine it, huh? It it is,
2: and um, in business... Uh, I use this particularly when I'm doing um, workshops for companies um, or I'm doing coaching, um, helping companies and individuals really break through to peak performance. And when it comes down to writing a business plan, for example, um, it's much more effective using the scientific concept of future retrospection to really spend a lot of time thinking through your final vision and goal um, a lot of times we start a relationship and we, we don't really crystallize that goal. And so we end up really setting um, interim objectives and uh, short-term action items that are not necessarily the most efficient. We end up going down rabbit holes and spending a lot of time and other scarce resources, including money, pursuing inefficient goals. So when you really crystallize your end goal and then work methodically backwards – for example, if you want to achieve a goal within a year, think about what that goal is, crystallize it a year from now, and then work backwards perhaps nine months, six months, three months, a month, and then today and be as specific and detailed as possible. And that really avoids going down the wrong rabbit holes. Mm-hmm. I'm not trying mm-hmm. to pick on rabbits here, but if you end down <laughs> the wrong rabbit hole, you're going to yeah. end up wasting time. And remember, this is all about maximizing the likelihood of achieving your goal. So go about things very efficiently. Use future retrospection to really achieve any of your business goals, including in your business development uh, routine as well.
0: In setting that answer up, I may have violated Rule 16, the 50-50 listen-speak dynamic. <laughs>
2: Well, it's interesting. I think we all violate that. I don't think you did, but I think we all tend to violate that. And that's another concept around really effectively communicating. If we are each dominating conversation, we're really not allowing the other person to be truly heard. And the concept of practicing active listening becomes moot at that point because We really aren't listening to anybody other than ourselves, and that's really not the most effective way to build a relationship. So the science does show that that really goes a long way, being sensitive about how much you're talking in a relationship and how much the other person is talking in a relationship and being very measured to make sure that everybody is being heard properly.
0: Joe Bricado's book is Hit It Off, 21 Rules for Relationships in Life and Business. Each chapter's four or five pages, very easy, very breezy, but look at all the scientific notation. He's not making it up. He's tapped a lot of research on this, and it makes sense, Joe. Congratulations, and thanks for giving Thank us some you. of those tips on WGN. Well,
2: it's an honor to be here. Thanks so much for having me, John.